1998 was hands down the best summer of my life. And it wasn't because of some super cool job or some hot romance that was going on and flickering in my life, but because that summer I had the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus with nine specific young men who decided to trust their life to Jesus. And I wasn't in the ministry at that time. I wasn't a pastor. I was a summer camp counselor, just doing my thing, had crazy hair, you know, average hygiene, that sort of thing. And that's what was going on in my life. But what happened was I would pray for guys and look for any sliver of an opportunity to come up, take that opportunity to, to direct a conversation to Jesus and talk about him. And God used that. Specifically, I saw him use about three common threads, three different kinds of stories to help these guys understand who Jesus was, and God used that to lead them to faith in him. God used a simple sharing of his story, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, on little scraps of paper. I would just write it out, very casual, and we would, we would walk through it. He would use my story, my testimony of how I came to trust Jesus. And he would use also, though, dialogues. They would tell me their story as they encountered Jesus. Usually they would encounter a story about Jesus. They would see themselves in that story. They'd start to talk about their life and their spiritual journey and their story. And if you have not yet experienced God using you to help a person cross from death to life, to to be transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of glorious light, a true miracle, it is unlike any thrill you have ever experienced in life. And I want you to have a taste of that. The leadership in our church wants you to experience that kind of thrill of God using you in that way. So what we want to do is give you the tools. So the next three weeks, we're going to give you three different tools that can help you share the good news about Jesus with friends, with neighbors, with coworkers, with family. Because life is short and people need to know Jesus. So we're calling it over the next three three-story evangelism. Three-story evangelism. Evangelism is just a, a fancy word for gospel sharing. Evangel literally means the good news about Jesus. So evangelism is sharing that good news. Three-story evangelism. Those three stories, God's story, my story, and their story. And each is important. God's story is sharing the simple good news about Jesus. My story is sharing how that good news has affected, has impacted, has in fact transformed my life. That's my story. And then... Their story is how uh, is, is presenting a prompt to get each person to share where they're at in their spiritual journey. It's prompting them to, to begin to share their story. How do, we, how do we prompt them in such a way that they can share that story? So because we live in an age where there's lots of talk and often very little listening, and I'm guilty of that too, I suggest we start with their story. Because as we start to present the good news about Jesus, we want to prompt people to invest, to start talking, to start sharing, so that we listen and show we care. So we're going to first go to God in prayer, and then we'll get started this morning with their story. Let's pray. Father, we know that you want more people to cross from death to life, and you want to use us, not just the pastor, as Neil was talking about earlier, not just missionaries, not just Sunday mornings, not just community group leaders, but all of us who believe in you have this treasure we can share. So help us treasure you, Jesus, so we want to pass that treasure on to others and equip us to do so this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
There was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night, he went to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. I am telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can a grown man be born again? He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. I am telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the Spirit. Do not be surprised, because I tell you that you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. It is like that with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Intimate, powerful. It feels like when you see that scene, like it's just you and Jesus as you begin to learn from him. Now, I would like you, if you would, please open to John chapter 3. John, the Gospel of John chapter 3. That's going to be on page 759. 759, if you're going to use one of the Bibles we provided for you, chair back pockets, middle end of these aisles. John chapter 3. And I want you to imagine you were sitting across from me over coffee. Your name is Nicodemus. And it's clear by my, my posture, my look, or just the fact that I'm wearing a dress shirt that I really want to talk to you about something pretty serious. And I'll, now I say these very same words that we just heard, I say them to you. So get that in your mind's eye. Coffee, I'm there in my dress shirt. It's a serious conversation. I'm going to say these same words to you over coffee. All right. Truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say, hey, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I'll repeat that exhortation again. You must be born again. Let me tell you how people have responded to me saying this over coffee. Because I I can do this because I asked a number of people how they would respond if my main exhortation to them, my main takeaway for them was, hey, you must be born again. What are you thinking? How are you responding in that moment? People gave me a few comments back. They said, that's pretty weird. (laughs) They said also, um, ooh, that's really off-putting. My favorite was, are you a hippie? Now, I say all this because despite the brilliance of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 3, I've got to confess, I've largely stayed away from talking to people about being born again, from from talking with non-Christians about being born again, because it seems like very few occasions when saying to someone, you've got to be born again, would be of any practical help in real conversations, right? Because it brings up loads of questions. What does that mean? It just sounds like spiritual talk. It sounds like religious babble. But that perspective has changed for me, and I'm hoping it can change for you as well. I hope you'll see this morning with me just how practical 
Jesus' teaching on the new birth really is, especially for helping someone, prompting someone to share their story with you, their spiritual journey with you. Jesus is describing salvation as many, most, if not all of us, actually experience it, and that is as a process. Salvation as a process. Consider this a very big paradigm shift, I think, for most of us, especially those of us who've grown up in church settings. People talk about when Jesus has saved someone from death to life, we talk about it in terms of when you accepted Jesus or that moment you gave your heart to God, that moment of your salvation, when in truth, most of us who've trusted Jesus can't identify that moment, that day, when we trusted Jesus. It's more like a series of moments, a process. A friend of mine describes his salvation as a wrestling match. There were a few rounds of wrestling, fighting with God, until finally my friend says he relented. Finally said, Uncle, I give up. Jesus, I want to trust you. But each round, each round of that wrestling is part of the process of salvation where God is drawing you to himself through Jesus Christ. So it is a process in many respects for most of us. So when we wrap, begin to wrap our heads around this teaching this morning, this process idea, the new birth addresses head-on a number of questions you might have, and we'll start to see how practical it really is. So for example, If you hope to know where you really stand with God, talking about the new birth really helps. I'll show you how. If you hope to start a dialogue about faith with your friend and not just a monologue where you start talking, the new birth is very helpful. And by the way, that's very practical. Because when you get that opportunity to share the good news with someone, it's nerve-wracking. And my experience is watching others do it, and when I started doing it myself, you just start talking, and you can't stop talking. Did I say enough? And like 15 minutes later, the person's like, thanks, got to go. It's over. If you want someone to be honest about where they stand without having them feel embarrassed or judged, the new birth, Jesus' teaching on the new birth is very helpful. I'm going to show you how. If you wonder why it seems so hard to talk, especially to a friend or a close friend or a family member about salvation, it doesn't have to be because of the teaching on the new birth. Again, I'm going to show you how immensely practical. I'm going to address all these things this morning, and here's the order in which I'm going to address them. Here's, our, here's sort of our roadmap this morning. Text, tool, take home, as you see on your bullets in there. Text, tool, take home. We're first going to look at the text, John chapter 3. From the text proceeds a tool, a very creative tool that this great author came up with I've been using for the last 18 months, a tool that we can take and use in our lives. So first text. Let's talk about John chapter 3. The first thing we do well to notice in our text this morning is the lack of any significant imperative or command from Jesus. What do I mean by imperative? What is that? Well, we're accustomed to hearing those who approach Jesus at some point receive from him some sort of command like, go, sell everything, follow me, right? Or don't tell anyone, or rise and walk, or don't be afraid, just believe, right? All these imperatives, all these commands. But yet here, Jesus is describing, isn't he? He's not commanding. He's describing to Nicodemus what happens when a person is saved. He's describing new life, or what people call the doctrine of regeneration. And Jesus teaches four truths here about life, or regeneration. And we're going to go through those four truths, okay? 
So think with me through them if you would. The first truth Jesus teaches here about regeneration, new life, is that when he does, starts to do this thing, when the Holy Spirit starts to start new life in you, it sparks a change in the whole person. The whole person. So John chapter 3, look, at with, look with me at verse 5 if you would. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Water and Spirit. Jesus is talking about baptism. He is actually not talking about baptism here. Jesus is very directly referring to an Old Testament prophecy that a man like Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, would have known very well. I'm going to share it with you here. Ezekiel 36. I will, this is God speaking. I will one day sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. So we've already seen water and spirit, haven't we? Okay. Sprinkle clean water. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a tender heart, a heart of flesh. So he's talking here. Jesus referring to a prophecy which refers to the change of a whole person. A change in their heart, a change in their spirit. The Hebrew understanding of the heart is a person's emotions. It's the control center of a person. Their emotions, their thoughts, their will. The spirit is that thing in a person that allows them to connect with God. So the idea Jesus is saying is when I begin new life in you, when the Holy Spirit starts new life in you, it changes the whole person. Number two, it's accomplished by God and God alone. The word translated born comes from the Greek word ganao, which means to generate, to generate something, right? To generate, and it occurs eight times in our passage, so it must be pretty important. To generate, God generates, God generates. And the word again, born again, comes from the word anothen, which means again or above. Probably intentionally means both of those things. So the idea is that something is generated in us from above. It's only from above. It's not something we can do ourselves. It's something that's done to us or in us. You can't do it. You can't even start it. It has to be done to you. And that's one of the reasons the Bible describes us as being born, all of us, spiritually blind, spiritually lost, and the most extreme, spiritually dead. Because if you are dead, there's nothing anyone can do to bring you back, right? God has to do something. It has to be God. So this can be accomplished by God alone, this new life done in us. That's the second truth. Thirdly, we don't notice new life at the time, but we soon can notice its effects. Very much like conception and pregnancy. We don't notice new life at the time, just like conception in a person. We soon notice its effects, right? Pregnancy. This is very much like new life. Look with me here in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you can't see it, right? You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is of everyone born of the Spirit. You don't know where he came from. You don't know where he's going to take you next. It's kind of a mystery. If you look buried there in verse 8, we're told, but you hear its sound, right? It's like you can't see it in one sense, but there's another sense in which you see the effects, right? You sense the effects of new life happening in you and in someone who's becoming a Christian. You sense it happening. Just like pregnancy. Right? Back in Jesus' day, there weren't sonograms or pregnancy tests. I think, I think we can all safely agree on that. People looked, they used their senses, they looked at the stomach of a woman. 
And of course, dangerously, no today, we would say, oh, she's pregnant. <laughs> you got to be careful, even in the first century, I'm sure, saying that. <laughs> but you look at the stomach of the woman, you say, hey, she is pregnant. And you listen with your ears to strange noises during pregnancy. I'll say no more about that, all right? But all your senses are engaged, and you think, oh my gosh, something is happening here in this person. In me, it is new life. You don't know exactly when it starts, but you can start to see its effects as it grows in you. So that step one, here's the fourth truth. Step one, this conception idea, step one in the process of salvation. New life, conception, followed by calling, which is like pregnancy, followed by faith, an expression of faith, which is like delivery, the baby cries. And it's pretty fascinating if we keep reading. So we would notice Jesus' teaching follows this three-step process. Step one, new life. Something starts to happen in Nicodemus in verses one through eight, right? Step two, calling is God's effective invitation to, to receive him into your life, to receive Jesus into your life, but it's usually accompanied by a lot of struggling, right? We have doubts. We have questions. We resist. We don't want to give up things in our lives. We want to keep going the way we're going. And so we wrestle with God. That's what Nicodemus is doing in verses 9 through 13. He continues to ask questions. He continues to wrestle with God. Step three, finally, faith, belief, trusting in Jesus. Faith, belief, trust. It's all the same Greek word. Jesus teaches about it four times in chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. That that trusting him is the only requirement for salvation. Now, all of this is going to all come together and make sense. That's a lot of teaching there. I want to bring it all together and have it make sense by a tool I'm going to give you. A tool that proceeds from Jesus' teaching. Not just random, but it really comes from John 3. But first, indulge me in just a little more teaching, okay? Nicodemus... His first response to Jesus is, I think, very misunderstood. Read with me here in verse 4, okay? Listen to what he says to Jesus after he says, hey, you've got to be born again. Jesus, Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, most scholars fall, sort of fall on one of two sides in interpreting what is Nicodemus getting at? What's his motivation and asking Jesus this question. Some people think Nicodemus is just showing spiritual blindness. Some think worse, that he's half ridiculed Jesus. Like, yeah, Jesus, like that could actually happen. Someone crawling back into their womb. What a joke. But I think Nicodemus is saying the most natural response. He's replying with the most natural response if someone was to bring some no, totally new concept into your life. You'd be like, what? How is that possible? And that's how Nicodemus is responding to the idea of being born a second time. How is that possible? It sounds weird. It sounds out there. So imagine if you would, I suggested we fly to Honduras. You and I, we're going to fly to Honduras. But you didn't know anything about an airplane. You knew absolutely nothing about an airplane. And I said, hey, let's fly to Honduras. What would your first question be? How, right? How in the world? Like, are we going to hold hands and pixie dust on us and we're just going to fly there, Peter Pan style? How would we do that? And since I'm, I'm a smart teacher, I knew your response would be how, which is when I would reveal the airplane behind that curtain, right? Ta-da, airplane. Now it all makes sense. Well, Jesus is a master teacher. Nicodemus knows nothing about spiritual birth. Jesus anticipates that Nicodemus only knows about physical birth, to which Jesus reveals, voila, that physical birth parallels spiritual birth. 
The same process in physical birth is very similar to the process and what God does in spiritually birthing someone, spiritually bringing someone to salvation. Hence, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see the parallel there? Flesh, pregnancy, spirit, what God does. And they move along the same track. Or verse 12, which we didn't read, but I'll read to you now. If I've told you of earthly things and you don't believe, like pregnancy, earthly birth, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things, spiritual birth? You see the parallel there? Jesus is trying to emphasize there's a similarity here, and it's going to be very helpful when talking with someone about Jesus. And here's how. In his book, Beginnings, great little book here by a guy named Stephen Smallman, he shares something he's used for the last 20 years, 25 years in ministry, he calls the birth line. And I want you to grab a pen, because I know you got a pen. And under, uh, in your outline here, you're going to see tool. Number two, tool. If you grabbed a, a sheet here, find a sheet. You're going to need a sheet of paper. So uh, find a sheet, have someone tear off a sheet for you, whatever it is. We're going to draw this together. So first, I want you to make a, a line from left to right, a line across the paper with an arrow at the end. Line across the sheet of paper, arrow at the end. Okay, and, and about, I don't know, a good centimeter, a couple centimeters above that line, you're going you're gonna to write the words physical birth. Enough to get you some space down here, but physical birth. And then below the line, a couple centimeters below, that, spiritual birth. All right, so physical birth on top, spiritual birth beneath, with some room in between. So you can write some more stuff. Got it so far? Okay. Now, we're going to move from left to right. Above the line, from left to right, right, this will be up on the screen, write conception, conception. Beneath conception, write new life. That's the spiritual birth side. Again, I'm moving from left to right. Again, next to conception, pregnancy. Now beneath pregnancy, write calling. And the idea of God is calling to you. He is reaching out to you by the Holy Spirit. So pregnancy. Beneath pregnancy, calling. That's the spiritual parallel. Okay, again, moving left to right. Next to pregnancy, you're going to write delivery, colon, a baby cries. Right? That's what typically happens. Baby comes out of the womb. Ah! We know the baby's there, etc. Beneath delivery, you're going to write conversion, colon, you express faith. You cry out to God to be your Savior. Conversion, colon, express faith. Finally, again, moving left to right, we see growth. Growth, colon, milk and solid foods above the line, and then growth, colon, milk and solid foods below the line. Spiritual milk. That's why we talk about milk and solid foods in the Bible. See how this all is starting to make sense? Over the 18 months or so, I think, I've drawn this out, this little parallel for over 20 persons. Christians and skeptics, the mature and the unsure. I just took a piece of paper, a napkin, whatever I get my hands on, draw this line. I begin to say, hey, look, Jesus tells this story in John 3. And he talks about how spiritual birth, salvation, mirrors physical birth. Let me draw it out for you. We all know about physical birth. Let me just draw it out for you. Okay? I explained it briefly. And then I ask a person to put an X wherever they think they currently are in their spiritual journey. So you'll see an X up there. And unlike when I share the bridge illustration for the gospel, unlike even sharing my testimony, 
God has used this to immediately direct the conversation so they can share, right? So it's not a monologue. It's not just me talking because there's a lot to explain about Jesus. But it gets them after just about a one or two minute prompt, one minute prompt even, 30 second prompt, to start the dialogue. And I'm telling you guys, a true dialogue without slipping into a monologue, the result has been a minimum of a 15 minute conversation about where they are with God and their need for new birth. But as, as long as an hour, I'm telling you, every single time I've seen people talk, I'm not saying it's automatic or it's some program, that's God working in that, but I'm just telling you, my experience has been every single time people want to share. The other person, and here's one reason why I think they want to share, the other person, especially the interested and the unsure, they felt like they could be real without having to be embarrassed or judged. What do I mean by that? He or she can acknowledge, hey, God is doing something here. God is doing something in my life without feeling the pressure of saying, sure, I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. And think about how much pressure there is to say that on this island in particular, right? Like, do you believe in Jesus or do you not? Oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. It's the default. Sometimes people haven't really trusted their life to Jesus. How can you do that? Use the birth line. Because oftentimes the way I talk, the way others talk, it feels like either you're in or you're out. And to some extent, this is true. Ultimately, you do need to make a decision about Jesus. But in the meantime, there's, there's room for God to be working. There's room for God to be calling you and wooing you to himself, but you're just not ready to trust him. You're just not ready to express faith in him. And so people feel a lot more comfortable to say, oh yeah, here's where I am. X marks the spot on my journey. So I want to encourage you right now, take a moment and mark an X where you feel like you stand on the birth line. Take a moment, mark an X, or you feel like you stand on the birth line. And as you do that, I'm going to give you some, uh, I'm going to describe some, describe where that might be. So for example, maybe you're here this morning, you don't even know why you came. You came with a friend, maybe they wore you down, they finally agreed to come. That's okay. Give them a handshake, give them a hug later. Draw a little dotted X or even a question mark somewhere around new conception, new life, because you're here for a reason. No doubt about that. Perhaps you're living, though, to gratify yourself. You're partying hard on the weekends, you're living for you, but something keeps you coming back on Sunday mornings. Or you have doubts that need to be rectified, questions that need to be answered, but you're working through those. You're asking people about those questions. You're working through them legitimately and sincerely. Perhaps you're scared about what you have to give up to follow Jesus. You're scared about that. And yet, you're so attracted to the good news about Jesus. I want to encourage you that if he began a good work in you, God will see it to completion. He's calling and then we have delivery or conversion. Maybe, maybe today is a day you finally want to say yes to Jesus, to express faith. Or perhaps you have already, but you've hardly grown. You're stuck in the baby stage. Your faith is still fragile. Perhaps you, you're cracking open the Bible for the first time in a long time. Or maybe recently you bought your first praise and worship song album. Maybe recently you finally allowed someone to pray for you for the first time, even though it was scary as heck. Or you finally started fellowshipping with people, even though that was frightening as well. You're starting to enjoy and drink the necessary milk to grow as a Christian. But then there's some of you who cannot keep growing on milk. You need solid foods. God is calling you to use your spiritual gifts and talents to serve. He's calling you to be challenged and to pray boldly for other people. To apply God's truth to your life in areas where it's pretty hard to obey him pretty hard to give up what you have. These are all examples, all all areas of the spectrum, right? All areas on the birth line where you could legitimately mark. Now, you feel comfortable, 
If you came with someone and you feel comfortable enough with the person sitting next to you, perhaps you may want to show them where you marked your X on the line. That's up to you. Maybe this week's take-home, this week's practical take-home is just to start the conversation with that person sitting next to you or maybe with one other person in the church. Low pressure. Just start with someone you know and say, where would you put yourself on this line? Here's what Jesus says in John 3. Physical birth parallels spiritual birth. So where are you at? And just have a mark. My, my, I find that wherever people mark their spot, it starts a conversation. It sparks a conversation. And that's the idea. We want to hear their story. We want to give them a prompt so that they feel free to share. It's so simple, this birth line is. Even, even a child can do it. Even a young person in our church can get this. For instance, is anyone here a big brother or big sister? Raise your hand. Any youth here? Everyone raise their hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Chris, will you come up here? Will you share? Okay. Chris, everyone give a hand to Chris here. Look how nice he's dressed. Yes, he's bowing. There you go. I picked the right person, clearly. Um, so, Chris, how old is your younger brother or sister? Two. Two, okay. What's her, what's her name? Phoebe. Phoebe, okay. Um, do you remember when your mom was pregnant with Phoebe? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You could tell, right? You kind of tell, like, man, mom's pregnant. No, not really. Oh, okay, wow. <laughs> Way to go, mom. <laughs> keeping, the, keeping that weight off. Um, I'm pretty sure you could. Okay, well, well, yeah, like, as she was more and more pregnant, could you tell something was growing in her? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but she told me, like, two weeks after. Oh, okay. So when you saw her tummy get big, though, that's not when the baby started growing in her, is it? Uh, when the tummy got big? Okay, you're too young to know that, so we'll move on. <laughs> um, did, it, did it take a long time for the baby to come out? Do you remember? About nine months. Nine months, right? Yeah. So there's a period of time for this process to take place, right? Okay. Uh, has, has Phoebe grown since? Yeah. What did, she, what did she eat or drink to grow at first? Do you remember? Like when she was really little. The milk? Yeah. Yeah, milk, right? Yeah. Does she, does she still drink milk to grow? What, what does no. she have? No, she has food. It's food, like solid food. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Very good. So give Chris a round of applause. Listen, that's how simple it is, this tool. You basically share what Chris just shared with us. The same order as a new life. of So if you took health class, sex ed, or as the South Africans call it, life orientation in high school, then you're good. You are good. You should know how to use this tool, okay? Now listen, for Nicodemus, salvation was a process also. As a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body, he had an extensive background in the Old Testament law. Like he knew what was up. And he knew God's standards. Maybe it was at that point that Nicodemus started to think, wait a minute, I can't live up to God's standards. I'll seek out Jesus. And if not then, then this encounter with Jesus is when God starts to begin this good work in him. He starts to initiate this good work in him. Now listen, here's the next two times we see Nicodemus, because this is a real person that God is birthing new life in. Look at this, John chapter 7, verses 44 through 52. And you can just listen to this here. Some of them wanted to arrest Jesus. No one laid hands on him. The officers came to the chief priests, Roman officers, they said, why did, you not, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, sorry, this officer is answering. They said, hey, we didn't bring him to you religious people because no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered him, have you not also been deceived by this man? Have, have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law, they're accursed. 
Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before, and who was one of the Pharisees, said to the Pharisees, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they say, Ah, Nicodemus, are you from Galilee too? What's happening here? There's an openness to Jesus, isn't there? Hey, guys, you should really listen to this guy. You should listen to Jesus. It's the Roman officers that say no one ever spoke like him. Nicodemus sides with them, not with his colleagues, asking, in effect, you ever thought of giving him a fair hearing and observing what he does? So this is part of the process for Nicodemus. We see an openness to to his life. Then check out John chapter 19, verses 38 through 41. I'll just read it to you here. This is amazing. After these things, after Jesus had died, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. They took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen clothes with spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. In the, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden a new tomb, in which no one had been laid, and they laid him there. What do we see here? We see a devotion to Jesus. It starts out with just curiosity about Jesus, an openness to Jesus, and finally a devotion to Jesus. I, I'm going to give of myself now to Jesus. I don't care if people see me or know me. I'm going to give of what I have to revere and honor this man. Who is Nicodemus in your life? Someone going through this process. You see there's a spark in their life. You see something going on. God can use you to help them using the birth line, helping them understand where they are and where they need to get to, to know God forever. Many start thinking, they know, start out when you talk with them, they know better, they know best. Like Nicodemus said, hey, Jesus, verse 2, we know you're a teacher from God and we know what you say is true. Nicodemus is a bit of a know-it-all to start out. People often start out that way when you talk to them about salvation. Sit down with them anyway. Present them the birth line. Ask them where they place themselves. Our goal at this point is just to put a thought, a pebble, like a pebble in their shoe to get them thinking. I remember I shared this one time with my brother-in-law and he told me, man, I can't even put myself anywhere on this line. It was super sad, but it got him thinking, and he talked to me about it later. Some are in the stage where they're open to Jesus, like Nicodemus was open when his colleagues challenged Jesus. Sit down with him, present the birthline, ask him where they place yourself. Encourage him, if God is at work in you, if he's at work with you, he will see you, this salvation to completion. Also remind them that faith is still needed. Some people are even closer. They're devoted to church. Perhaps they grew up in church. Perhaps they see all the good effects, effects of church in their lives or the lives of their kids who they bring on Sunday morning if they got them. Ask them where they place themselves on the line. Start the dialogue. Listen, I can't say for certain what brought you here this morning. No doubt there's stuff you wanted to address. Practical solutions from God's Word for your life. Friends, the most practical thing you can do in life is know where you stand with your Creator and help others do likewise. Sharing the birth line can be a great start. Let's start the dialogue. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for for taking an otherwise complicated process and making it simple to us. Comparing what you do in a new Christian to pregnancy, the process of a person's salvation, much like the process of birth, Thank you for creative tools like the birth line, which are also faithful to your word. I think you want to honor those kind of tools to help us in a conversation. 
Help us do the most practical thing we can do in response to the morning's message by practicing the birth line this week with someone we know. Help us do it. Holy Spirit, please go ahead of us to conceive new life in our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and our family. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.